Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It is hour number two of the program. And this hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Stan Richo with uh, Randeep Janta today. So a reach deep edition of the Canuck Central Friday mailbag. Let's get it. Your questions for us here on the Friday mailbag. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, sent out a tweet earlier prompting your questions. Uh, so uh, can, can basically look like this example. Uh, Randeep, why is yours your favorite Canuck Fedor Fedorov of all time? That's not a true statement, but yes, the oh, question can be like, no, of oh. course not, man. Greatest Canuck to wear number 81 all time. <laughs> also, greatest Canuck to be uh, one-punched yes. by Kevin Bieksa. That's, uh, ma- ma- That's maybe. factual. Yes. Uh, nice. Although, I'm imagining Juice might have punched a lot of people in his career. Yeah, so. Maybe not other Canucks, though. Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> next time I see Juice, I'm going to ask them that, actually. That might be the next story. Uh, i got to say, Mailbag is probably my favorite segment on the radio right now. Oh. So you guys, are, you guys are killing it with this. Uh, all right. Well... No pressure, then. you got to make it uh, live up to those standards. Don't now. mess it up. Uh, all right. Producer Eddie Gregory, what do you got? We'll get things off the hop with Ray Hat. Are the Canucks going to maneuver into a position to move out Tyler Myers if they bring in Ethan Bear? I feel like this is premature. You know, Just a little bit. We are, um, we are all victims, and I, I did the same thing yesterday. You know, the Dennis Rodman meme from uh, The oh, Last right. Dance. Yep. Like, we all think Patrick Alvin is that guy where he's just, like, moving the pieces around. And he's, like, at the whiteboard. And we're like, we're going to do this. Then we're going to trade him. We're going to get some cap space there. And we're going to go get that guy. Um, didn't they just do that this week? Too? They did. Moving up Pavilion and getting They did do that this week. And they, like, they tend to do this quite a bit because they've had to, uh, right? Even last year. Like, okay, we're going to move out Horvat, And then this is our list of guys that we want to acquire with all the stuff we get for Horvat. Um but I still think it's too it's too premature because it also hinges on them signing Ethan Bear. Now, it could happen. We know they're still in on Ethan Bear, but I just I don't think it's as black and white because there's quite a few teams that could use a free right shot defenseman right now and maybe have more of a need than Vancouver does after they just acquired Nikita Zadorov. The Canucks do have more leverage because of the geographic aspect of it, right? Like yes. he's kind of hanging out in Kelowna or the Okanagan. He's still working out in Canucks gear. So exactly. I don't know if that says anything without saying anything, but it says something. On top of that, it's also premature because injuries. Hmm. We don't know what's going to happen until... In the next couple of months here. We don't know. Yes. And that need or that surplus of requirements that we're assuming might not be there. Also, Ethan Bear, when is he ready to really hit the ground running? Like, it might take him a little bit to ramp up. You got to take that into account. So, yeah, a little premature for me, too. Uh, reminds me, when you just said injuries, it reminded me of that Francesco Aquilini tweet. Injuries! <laughs> Just like with an exclamation mark. I forgot about that one, actually. I forgot about that one. Canucks were just battered by the injury bug. And there's Francesco tweeting about it. It's great. (laughs) All right, next question. Was it a cheer or an exclamation? (laughs) It was just an exclamation mark, but it like read like a cheer. I don't know. It was very strange. (sighs) Couple of them in back-to-back succession on Elias Pettersson. First, from Mike Beck. 
Do the Canucks need a forward even better than Elias Pettersson to win the Stanley Cup? Uh, no. They need Elias Pettersson to play like a top 10 center in the league as he's shown in spurts, even for arguably a t- an entire season last year. But right now, he's not that guy. They need another top forward, though, if they are going to get to the cup contender level. Yeah, in terms of better than? No, like, guys, we were, what, a month ago, even a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson is the strongest, one of the strongest foundations in the NHL. And I haven't changed my answer on that. I still think that's the case where those two as a one-two option in your lineup, along with a Thatcher Demko, along with a JT Miller, is strong enough. But it's further down the lineup. It's also in that top six. You need more guys. You need the ability to attack in waves. Your star talent is still your star talent. You believe in those guys, but you need layers to your game. And that's what the Canucks, playing against the Vegas team last night, that's what you saw, that the Canucks just need more options. They need different types of skill, which Vegas has as cup champions, and Vancouver doesn't because they're not cup champions. They're trying to build towards that. I got to be a little bit more accountable to myself here, just based on how these questions are going in order. I should have asked the question I asked just now second, and this one <laughs> right. first. Editing on the fly. It's okay. Exactly. This is from Lee Lang. Does Elias Pettersson having these streaks of invisibility, feels like it happens quite often, brackets, can that lower his value? First of all, I want to say streaks of invisibility. That's a great saying or a phrase. I wish I had streaks of invisibility sometimes (laughs) in my life where you could just leave and just disappear. I love that. Um, Yep. Sounds like a good band name, streaks of invisibility. They're probably playing like a small joint somewhere. <laughs> somewhere somewhere in Gastown tonight. Exactly. Somewhere in Gastown. Um so okay, what what do we ballpark Elias Pettersson's value at? 11, 11 and a half, 12 on the high end. I think 11. If I'm being the way that yeah. he was playing early in the season, you felt like it was shading higher towards that 12 number. I mean, he's leading the league in points. You're like, wow, okay, Elias Pettersson. Another 100-point season. That's going to put him in that type of bracket. Hart Trophy candidate. He's in that bracket. Now that he's fallen off a little bit here, he's gone through a couple of weeks where he's not played quite at that level. He's not even the number one Hart Trophy candidate on this team anymore. Very few players get the above $11 million paycheck. I still think Pedersen is in that category, but he's got to be that guy that's above 90 points back in the 100-point conversation again at the end of the year. Consistency at the elite level, right? Yes. That's what we're talking about here, where anytime you start talking about players that are making $10.5, million, what do they have? Yeah. They have multiple years of being elite. And Elias Pedersen's in that conversation as far as the potential, but you actually have to deliver too. So for me, that number, and I understand, you know, Nathan McKinnon's contract changed the game. Mm-hmm. But Nathan McKinnon, going back historically, like look at his sample size over the last four or five years. Yeah. There's Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, Nikita Kucherov, and who's the fourth in terms of point production? It's Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. That consistency is there. If you're going to get anywhere in that $12 million range along with Connor and Nathan McKinnon, 
you got to put string years together. So that's why I think now, Reach, like you're probably still talking about that $11 million range, but the ceiling, you know, the ceiling, if he can crank out points and get this back on track a little bit, yeah, of course, we're talking about north of that, but you got you to gotta bring those points. You got to bring that produ- uh, you know, production and win your matchups. I could see uh, $12 million if he signs an eight-year deal. Right? That would be a $96 million total contract. That's a lot. Yeah. But with the cap going up, I could understand how his agency and his camp would fight for that. Uh, But if you're going sort of medium term, which a lot of people seem to think might happen, you know, more of the Austin Matthews type of contract, four or five years, it can't be that much more than $11 million, I don't think. Not Not if he doesn't really pick it up for the second half of this season and show you some level of playoff success. And a part of that might be on his side too, to say why limit how much I can make in the long term. Yeah. If you're $11 million player in that mid kind of term contract, we're going to see those types of deals. The Austin Matthews kind of deals where one payday, I want two. Yeah. I want that next contract to be maybe by then we're in a situation where $50 million contracts are the norm. Why limit what you can do? Uh, the other part of this, um, and Eddie brought it up pre-show, like of players making more than, let's say, $10.5 million, who is Pedersen better than? So the list is Jonathan Huberto, Mitch Marner. I'm going to take defensemen out. And goalies, for that matter. Uh, and goalies, because Carey Price doesn't count. <laughs> John Tavares, David Posternock, Austin Matthews, or Temi Panarin, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon. Like, you can say Marner and Tavares and Huberdo, but beyond that, it's a pretty heated argument. You'd probably get 50-50 on whether or not you take Pedersen over Pasternak. And then the other guys, maybe you have a conversation about Panarin, but that guy's on fire this year. Yeah, when it comes to that conversation, I draw the line at Pasternak. And yeah. everybody above him in that salary, I'd want him and those guys ahead right now. As of right now. So, yeah, Marner, you're right. Tavares, you're right. Huberto, you're right. Um, one thing Pasternak does is score at an elite level. and produce, Score goals at an elite level. Yeah, and just produces year after year after year. Got to get to that level. Like elite level production. If you're going to crack 11 million, you got to bring it every single year. All right. This is one that definitely got some heated debate last night, including some beef involving show producers. Including one that sits in this room in this time slot usually from time to time. But from Discount Dracula, should we be concerned with the Canucks' results so far against higher-end teams? Absolutely not. Um, so my, my worry level was out of five. It's because, as Yannick said, we are... Judging the Canucks on a different scale now already. 24 24 games into the season, we're judging them as a top team in the league rather than a fringe playoff team like we saw them. Most of us saw them coming into the year. They've shown, especially when they were going well, they are a tier above the fringe playoff teams, at least in the West, like the St. Louis's, the Nashville's, but they're not quite on the tier of the Vegas's of the world. 
they can punch above their weight and give Dallas a good game and teams like that. But I feel like they're still quite clearly a tier below. So I'm not too worried about their record against top, top, top quality teams. We're going to get a larger sample of it over the next little while. I'm just, I'm not that worried about it just yet. Okay, this is kind of akin to, and Rich, you'll get this, of course, with your Monday menu as well. Like, it's yes. going to a restaurant that is really good. It's mm-hmm. good. Let's put it that, right? You got a recommendation. You get the appy, and you say, wow, this is really good. I'm going to grade this like a Michelin star restaurant now. Even though the restaurant itself is not a Michelin star, right? Yes. The Canucks are a team that started off so well and have ambitions long term. But for us to now say hey, we're going to base it on a different scale all of a sudden. Doesn't make sense. Like, uh, that's why my worryometer was at three. If you thought they were a wild card team or a borderline wild card team at the beginning of the year or before the season started, it's unfair to say you're not at Vegas's level. So those efforts are going to be judged as the season goes on. And maybe they get better. The next time they play Vegas, you hope for them to, to play better. But... Yeah, I'm not worried about that because I'm going to say it probably a hundred times this season, if not more. This is marathon, man. It's not a mm. sprint. It's not a ratio four nine forty, right? <laughs> and whatever I was doing that day. So uh, for Rand Deep terms, like most people rate uh, Breaking Bad as a top show of all time. Not me. Rand Deep does not. So. For everybody who bought the Kool-Aid a little too early and we're putting uh, the Canucks as a top five team in the league, not there yet. That's not a bad thing. They just they didn't jump three steps into being a top-tier club all of a sudden through 20 games. It's true. And yes, I stand by my Breaking Bad yeah, I know. comment. I'm, I'm, still, I'm staying by that. It's still a bad take. It's a great take. This is from Drew, and I'm sure you guys get How can you hate lot. on Heisenberg? Just overhyped. Like, what an incredible character. It's not that it's not a good show. It's just overhyped. That's all I'm saying. Like, Aaron Paul built an entire entire acting career off of one character. Good He's that guy who can only play one character. It's probably an exaggerated version of himself and can literally play nothing else. That's his level of actor. Good show. Damn, he was good as Jesse Pinkman. Good show, but I'm going to say it right now. Better Call Saul, actually better than Breaking Bad and... To have Breaking Bad in the same conversation as The Sopranos is a spit in the face of The Sopranos. How dare that statement even be made? All right. Randy, look at what you're doing. You're getting Dan Riccio mad. You want Dan mad on a Friday? Nothing will beat uh, Pauly in, in Napoli. <laughs> Come Asking for it. gravy. <laughs> you guys got any gravy? What? And, and macaroni. <laughs> yeah. Killer. All right. This is from Drew. Once Susie is healthy, and if Ethan Bear is signed, who becomes the odd man out on the Canucks defense? I would say in that scenario, Ethan Bear would be your seventh defenseman. Once again, assuming yeah. he's 100% right. If they're all if they're all good to go, Ethan Bear's just journey to get back into an NHL lineup is pretty difficult, right? For the procedure and all, all of that. But he is a righty. He's got to get match fit borrow a soccer term but he is a righty yeah and knowing that this coach loves righties on the right hand side i so would... what one of the four lefties would be out you just <laughs> traded for zadorov you gave susie a big contract when he's right i'm not saying immediately because yeah. you're right you got to ramp up if you're ethan bear you can't just get into the lineup 
but coaches love having right-handed defensemen on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you, but the guy that, you know, who is that player? That it's Healthy competition, on the, especially on that third pair. Would be a pretty good problem for the Canucks to not have. Not bad, right? right? <laughs> and here's the issue, though, guys. It's not like, oh, the healthy scratch Derek Pouliot. Oof. Yeah. Well, it's not, I can't believe he brought up that name to take us back <laughs> mentally to hey. those days. He's one of the one of the few players that's gotten a uh, tribute video at Rogers that's Arena. True. That's true. I wonder if well, Nikita Zadorov is going to get one in Calgary real quick. Okay, on that though, I think he's more likely to fight some people in Calgary than get a tribute video on Saturday. If you were to place a bet, who would that be? Nazem Kadri, Michael Backlund, oh, yeah. Michael Backlund, the captain. I don't know who does Calgary have that can fight Zadorov. AJ Greer. Who's got the stones to fight six foot six Zadorov on the Calgary Flames? As much as they may dislike him after everything he pulled to, to start the season. You know it would be the best entertainment, though? Probably to Chris Tanev. <laughs> Raising his trade stock even more by fighting Zadorov. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Probably AJ Greer. I know he's gone through some issues, but if Milan Lucic was still there. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Blake Coleman, maybe? Coleman could do it. I think it's Greer or Coleman. Uh, Martin Pospisil. He was kind of. He's kind of become yeah, a little did. bit of a. I don't think he likes to fight though. Pest. He's, he's kind of one of those guys that will give you the cheap shot, but he's not gonna. Right. He's not gonna answer the bell. Yeah, that's fair enough. Maybe it's Markstrom. <laughs> well, most likely if Dan Vladar is going to start, they might even lace up Markstrom as a winger in that game. <laughs> At least they'll be eye to eye. Based on Vladar yeah. actually playing well in Markstrom, might, might be able to match the reach on Zadorov. I still can't forget that photo. Remember that press conference where it was Jacob Markstrom and Anders Nielsen sitting at the, the press yes. <laughs> press conference table? Anders Nielsen was the same height, but he looked like the Incredible Hulk compared <laughs> to Jacob Markstrom, who's a very big dude himself. All right. What's next? This is from Chaco Hazelnut. What specific pieces do you think are still missing from this Canucks team? It's uh, as obvious as you may think it is. A top six forward and... A top four defenseman. They've, gonna, like, they've supplemented their defense now by having a lot of guys that you would categorize as a four, five, six. Like, even Ian Cole, you throw into that mix. Um, and that's fine. You're you're finding workarounds for the lack of available top four, top three defensemen around the National Hockey League. Generally, those guys don't come available all that cheaply. So you have to find workarounds, but it's still a very big need, and they're going to have to continue finding stop gaps until maybe Tom Willander, who's playing top pair minutes right now for BU in his first year of college, maybe he's that guy. But until then, you still need it. And top six forward, like, you could stand to find a center, and then you move JT back to the wing, or a winger, and uh, you keep JT at center. I think that's ultimately what this team needs. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit more specific in terms of characteristic. Just to be, you need a top six forward. I'll go winger here with hard skill. Mm. Like, the reason that this team, you know, being aggressive on the forecheck is a need on this team. They need somebody that gets to that spot in the top two lines. Mikheyev, I have faith in getting back to that level. But who's going to do that on the second line? Yeah. If JT's playing the center position, to your point, you know, it's easier to pick up a winger in this league than it is a center. And Konechny's one example. But, like, I go back to 2015. Mm -hmm. Washington picking up, like, a TJ Oshie in his prime. Like, how can you pick up a player that profiles with hard skill? And I'm going to remind you what they paid for him. 
Troy Brower, Phoenix Copley, and a third-round pick to get TJ Oshie. Right? Doesn't sound so bad today. Doesn't sound so bad. So you don't always have to give up a first-round pick to get a player. It's just targeting that player at the right time. Who is that player for the Canucks? I don't know if they can do that now or if that's an off-season type of move, but a winger with hard skill is what that JT Miller line needs right now. Next. I know, Eddie, you love that answer. Oh, I know. I love it. And I like how you phrase it, finding TJ Oshie at the right time. And I was talking to the last commercial break, finding that next player, you know what I mean? You know, before he really makes a name for himself. Anyways, this might be, more than I think about it, one of the most ultimate Canuck questions of all time. From Brad and Blue Sky, why do we panic at every loss? Why can't we be emotionally stable? Is it historical? Does the faintest glimmer of hope spark a wildfire within us? Isn't that 53 years of Canucks hockey? Also, is this Monday, or sorry, is this the mailbag, or is this like therapy? Because that's a very deep question. Yeah. What is the meaning of life? Uh, What's the meaning of life following the Vancouver Canucks? What is is being a fan, (laughs) you know? If this were a Jeopardy question, what is being a fan? Riding the roller coaster. Absolutely. Ride the roller coaster. Why not? You know, you live and die with every loss. You know, this afternoon I was throwing stuff at my television watching Juventus barely squeak out a win against Monza. You know, it's like I never want that to be out of me. I I always want – I grew up a sports fan. I'm still a sports fan. I will forever be a sports fan. I think to me that's that's part of the fun. You know, being a sports fan, you you hope your team wins at some point. But you know what the reality is, especially in North American sports, if you're going to support a team, chances are you are going to end in a lot more disappointment than you are going to end in jubilation. So live and die with every loss, ride those roller coasters and live through it that way. Because otherwise, what's the point of being a fan? Yeah, so why do we panic at every loss? Because you love your team. Why can't we be emotionally stable? Because the team hasn't won before, so therefore yes. you're questioning everything. Is it historical? You're damn right it's historical. And does the faintest glimmer of hope spark a wildfire within us? Why does it happen? Because you love your team. So that's okay. I'm okay with that too. It's It makes this fan base very paranoid, but that's all right. Because when it does end up winning a championship... Whether that's while I'm around or not, the party's going to be awesome. So that's okay, guys. Ride the roller coaster. Reach for all the things you said, but it's, that's what makes the end, end goal that much sweeter. I don't know when that is. You know, I had a, a kid ask me at Nat Billy Stadium once, when are the Canucks going to win the Stanley Cup? And I was like, kid, hopefully by the time you win, enter college. <laughs> or ho- hopefully by the time whatever hopefully you decide to do. sometime in your lifetime. I can't answer that, but... yeah. Yeah, but Don Taylor was answering the same questions when he was breaking into TV down on West 2nd back in the 80s. Yeah. Enjoy sure. the ride. Enjoy the ride. Um, you know, last I checked, uh, the Leafs haven't won a title in that time, right? Winnipeg doesn't have any titles. Uh, you know, go down the list. Cleveland Browns, Randeep's Miami Dolphins. Hey, we had some good good runs, all right? Yeah, were you alive? No. <laughs> And my my favorite team, probably number one in all sports, Arsenal hasn't won anything in 20 20 years. And that one pains me the most. And you know this, and you use it against me, Richo. But the point is, you'll love your team regardless. And that's why you feel it, because you care. It's, uh, 
It's like you're you're at the club with your boys and somebody looks at uh, your best bud funny and all of a sudden you just like get heated and angry for like something that's very like very silly. But you know what? That's what being irrational about your friends is about. It's true. You know? What being irrational about your team is about. And also being drunk in that situation. Yes, but probably. like I think you left that part out. But Not that, <laughs> that usually plays years. a role too. Or just assumed. <laughs> it was assumed. And some sporting events, it's very much the same. <laughs> You're absolutely plastered. It is.